Hey, what's going on? Jason Bay here. You're listening to Blissful Prospecting. This is a podcast for reps and sales teams who love landing big meetings with their prospects, but hate when their cold emails and cold calls go ignored and it struggle city to land meetings. So if that's ever you, or you've ever experienced that, you're definitely in the right place. Today, we're talking to Jen Walsh and Jeff Bajorek on another episode of Sales Rants. Let's get to it. So we're doing something a little different today. We got a guest on, Jen Walsh. She's gonna be joining Jeff and I, and she is the founder of Genuine Shift. And what she really specializes in is working with insurance companies. And she brings in a really cool perspective. I've met her, I can't remember, maybe through LinkedIn content. We, we did a webinar together. Can't remember exactly how we met, but we were LinkedIn friends for a little while and we connected and really dig her stuff. And it's like, let's do a rant together, right? And one of the things that we're gonna talk about today because she has such a vast experience in not only being a broker and a rep, you know, on the ground level, that sort of thing, but leading people, leading businesses, and now consulting and coaching and training. We're gonna talk about three topics today. One is this topic I've been on lately called prospecting narcissism. So why it's bad that we're making all of this outreach about ourselves and what we should do instead. The next thing we're talking about is when things aren't going well, yet there's this reluctance to change. You know, how do we create, I think the word for it is probably more consistency in what we're thinking, what we're saying, our actions, et cetera. And when things aren't going well, we have to not be reluctant to change. And how do we, how do we change, right? What we're doing in our approach. And then lastly, we're going to talk about how to deal with the objection. How come you cost so much, <laughs> which Jeff's going to tackle that one. I'm really excited. So without further ado, Let's get to the episode today. Jason, we've talked about toxic positivity before. We've talked about, I mean, a lot of things, but this one, you've got me with this one. You were just mentioning a, a few minutes ago. Um, prospecting narcissism. Like, look, I've been called a lot of things. I don't know that you're necessarily referring to me, but like, what is prospecting narcissism? Well, this topic came up through something that I'm going through in my kind of personal family life. And it is this, these conversations, I mean, you two have had them, right? You're talking to someone and you're bringing up something you're really excited about. You know, Jen, I just got my access to my guitars back. I'm super excited. And then sometimes the conversation goes like this. Oh, awesome. I play guitar too, Jason. And you know what? I've been working on this and the conversation completely shifts into the other person and what they're interested in. I do this all the time. I'm guessing you two probably do it all the time too. And it's this conversational narcissism is what they call it. And it's the inability to really sit and think about what the other person wants to talk about and what's important to them. This is something I've been working on a lot in my personal life in the last six months, six to nine months, due to the request of my wife. <laughs> but, there, but there's these two kind of responses that I think are really important in sales and especially prospecting when you got someone on the phone and it's a support versus a shift response. So what they talk about, a shift response is when you, uh, when a prospect says, yeah, we actually are having some challenges with our prospecting. In fact, I have some reps not hitting quota. And then you immediately shift into, oh, I'm so glad I reached out. We have the perfect solution. You immediately shift into what you wanna talk about versus, oh, interesting, Jen, tell me more about that. How's that affecting your pipeline right now? So it's that 
support response where you want to really get the person to lean in and talk. And that's the big thing I think that we need to change our behavior from a prospecting and a selling lens with the questions into how can I support this person and try to understand what they're saying versus listening to respond with my thing and taking the conversation away from what's important to the prospect. Ooh, I really like that. My sisters um, and her friends have a joke. Whenever somebody does that, they call it out and they call it back to me, brew. It's like, wait, <laughs> no, it's not back to you, brew. Like, no. And so in our family, when we, well, maybe not so gently want to call someone out on that. It's like, no, no back to you, brew. But I love that idea of just teasing it out further. But I think as salespeople, we get excited. Oh, they do have that issue. And I think that I've been listening for that. But it's, yeah, it's a missed opportunity to go further. I think that, I don't think you can ever do too much discovery. But I also recognize that at some point, you have a job to do. And so I almost want to applaud that salesperson who jumps right to it because at least you're making a sales call, right? Like I think that they're with all of the marketing speak and the inbound stuff and the just keep putting stuff out there for free and people will come. I mean, it, it feels, and I've seen this, people have been condemned online for doing their job. Like, give me a break, right? Yeah. But you got to act like you've been there before. You got to have a little bit of tact. And I think to your point, Jason, I love that. I mean, the idea of prospecting narcissism means it's all about me. It should still be about your prospect. And if it's not about your prospect, you're doing something wrong. So dig a little bit deeper. But I want to throw that back on you, Jason. When do you think is the right time to make it about you? Or am I not saying that right? Like, when is the right time? I think the way we've talked about this, it's been suggested that there is a right time to make the pitch or say, you know, I think we can help you. Is this a like a quantitative aspect? Like, is there a right time for this? Or is it a qualitative aspect Like, they just need to use the words differently? Yeah, great question. And I will talk about this through the lens of a cold call. You want to save the we can help you with that till the very end, because that's your cliffhanger. The way that you want to leave a cold call is where you are the one and Bilal Batrari, we did a webinar on cold calling and he sort of elegantly talked about this thing, but essentially it's this, I wanna be able to walk away from this call and hang up on my terms. So if I can save it for the end and I can dig through, there's this intro part of the cold call where I'm getting permission, I'm getting the prospect talking, and then there's this hook part where you wanna spend a lot of your time. Ask one to three really good questions and that's where you're digging in, spending two, three, four, five minutes if the time allows to really dig into that challenge or problem or get them talking, that close part is where you want to say, Jeff, this has been a really interesting conversation. So what I heard was A, B, and C. Yeah. Did I miss anything? No. Can I make a quick suggestion? And usually they say, yeah, what's up? Well, these are the exact things that our clients like A, B, and C experience that we're able to help them with. And I'd love to unpack this a little bit more when I'm not cold calling you in the middle of the day. Do you have your calendar handy? Mm -hmm. And that's the cliffhanger that you leave. So it's more about as they're bringing mm -hmm. up problems, it's not about, oh, Jeff, interesting. I hear that all the time. We can totally fix that. It's, oh, I'm actually hearing that a lot from some of our other clients that are going through a similar problem. Here's what they were you know, going through. But what's your take on this? What are you experiencing? That's how you're kind of doing this empathy thing and this business, this demonstration of business acumen is talking about other things that you are seeing with your clients and making it about advocating for the people that you help versus yourself and what you do and how you help and the percentage increase or decrease that you help with and the dollars and cents that you save. 
or make people, you know, that kind of stuff. People are too desensitized to take all of that out of the equation, at least in a prospecting conversation. Is this the death of the elevator pitch? I think the elevator pitch was dead a while ago in the sense of I need this 60 second pitch on and I need to be prepared when I go into Shark Tank to give this elevator pitch. In most pitches, because I do watch Shark Tank, most of them start with a very basic formula of here's the 10,000 foot view of the way things are being done right now and why that's old school or why that's bad or why that's, that's the before picture. And here's what people are doing instead and how we're helping them. That's the value prop statement maybe is the thing that's dying. That we help XYZ increase or decrease this. It's no, what's the problem? What's the problem? Let's start with the context of the problem and the way things are being done right now and what the missed opportunity is from that. Mm. And I love in that idea of the cliffhanger, Jason, that it could go with those, if you can have the patience to ask those few additional questions, you might either have a much broader solution than you may have initially offered up when you were eager. Or you might uncover something where you can show some restraint that says, you know, that one aspect, that's not what we're positioned to solve, which I think earns you credibility points from somebody when you're cold calling. So I think if people need some incentive for what is in it for them to just probe a bit further, that in that close, somebody's like, oh, it's even a broader solution. Or this person's going to be honest with me when I have that follow-up call. That's cool. No, I love it. Good transition into our next question, actually, Jen. (laughs) So there's this thing kind of going on that we were talking about this before we hit record, but changing is hard. (laughs) Changing is hard. Changing out of our daily habits. I mean, I always like to tell a story of Dollar Shave Club. I used to use the razors for the longest time. And during COVID, we started reevaluating all of our purchases. And my wife wanted me to get these ones from Costco that we could buy in bulk that were a bit cheaper. Even getting me to change my own razor, something that is so inexpensive and the shaving gel was a very hard change for me to make because I'm just so stubborn. But there's this thing you're kind of noticing that you mentioned around in the industry. Hey, people are saying things aren't going well, yet they're reluctant to change. What do you think is behind the reluctancy to change? So it's super interesting to me. I mean, I think we had what phase one of COVID kind of the shock and awe and okay, we'll just, re, you know, hold in place. And then we held in place longer, kind of that phase two. And then now what I really see is kind of phase three, act three, right? Where we're moving forward in our industry that in spite of its bad habits has done, you know, done really well. That small agencies, very large firms have relied upon a formula within an apprenticeship model to train new producers, salespeople to grow their business. And my hypothesis is that the world was starting to change in terms of how people make fine decisions for professional services. COVID really kind of accelerated it. So I've heard for 12 months, 15 months now sitting in my dining room here, the same complaints and frustrations from firms that were small and big that were having trouble with connecting with new prospects. People aren't out there in our networking world in the way it used to be. Yet I'm seeing the same frustrations and complaints from individual salespeople that are newer, that are veterans, that are managers, yet I'm seeing very little proof that people are getting organized to change, right? So that might be in pipeline, that might be the actual sales process, 
sales support, sales enablement, and even sales management, where we're now asking in many organizations for historically the strongest producer, who's now the sales manager, who, by the way, now is trying to sell differently. You know, they only have so many hours in the day. And so that was one of the reasons when I was joking with you guys that I considered you my new quarantine friends, thinking about who does our industry need to meet? Because look, it doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it didn't work. But we maybe need to populate our conversation with fresh perspectives that are proven in other industries and that we might benefit from. So that's, sorry, see, there's my rant. And why my bucket list was, who are these guys ranting? And I want to rant with them about things. And so how do we get started? Because change is scary, to your point. But it's not working, not changing anything. So there's something that I, this is really interesting to me because I am not even that removed. I'm 32 years old, so I'm not even that removed from Gen Z. And you could look at Instagram and TikTok and all of these social media platforms as this, oh God, it's so stupid. Why would people want to waste time on that? Or you could look at it and be like, what could I borrow from how people are starting to consume content, especially younger generations, to make our stuff more bite-sized? I mean, that's the whole point of these rants, is to create more bite-sized content that we can share on social in a five to 10 minute clip that is more appealing, honestly, to younger people that are consuming this kind of stuff. They don't want your insurance webinar. Yeah. They don't want your (laughs) webinar. They just don't, you know, they don't. Do you think that this is maybe a, just for both of you guys, is this a matter of fixed versus growth mindset? Do you look at this like, hey, the situation is the situation. I'm just going to be victim, so to speak, to the circumstances or growth mindset and that, you know what, there's still opportunity here. I just need to know how to find it. And if that means adopting a new way of doing things, I can do it. I mean, what do you guys think? I think there are a lot of old dogs out there. Yeah. And I think despite the fact, and there's nothing wrong with being an old dog. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm, I'm I one resemble <laughs> one. I resemble one more and more every day, right? Like there's nothing wrong with being established, being successful and having some belief in the way that you got successful and established. But I also think that, like, look, if you're not getting the results that you're looking for, you have got to be open to changing some of the ways that you're doing the things that you're doing. And, you know, it's interesting and it's so easy to be insulated in the digital world that we live in to forget that most of the economy happens off of LinkedIn. Okay. Like not everybody's on Twitter. There's still a lot of businesses being done by a handshake over a lunch at a less than sexy restaurant. You know how much business is done at coffee shops and diners, right? Like it's not always this glorified thing that you saw in a movie. You know what I mean? So like, there's just a lot of people who do it that way. And if it's always been successful for them and it continues to feel successful to them, there's no reason to look at anything differently. You have to be a little bit more scrutinous of the numbers, right? Are you really growing or does it just feel like you renewed a bunch of your old or existing client relationships? And do you want to grow? And I think quite frankly, there are a lot of people out there that are okay, not growing. The status quo is just fine. And the discomfort of not doing anything, I'm sorry, yeah, the discomfort of not getting results is not bigger than the, or 
I am twisting my own self around here. Yeah, words, One words is hard, worse Jeff. than the other. Words are hard. <laughs> right? Like it's going to be painful to stay the same. It's going to be painful to change. Which one's more painful, right? And I, I think there's a lot of disparity there. I have one quick comment to think about. One quick exercise you could do. And that's that I really believe in sales, everything you do either has a positive or negative effect. It doesn't really have a neutral effect on your pipeline. So if you extrapolate that mm-hmm. exponentially, Look at the curve, look at your last six or 12 months and said, hey, if I just repeated that year after year after year, knowing that I'm accounting for the drop off I've had, the clients that have canceled, the people that have moved to a competitor, what does that look like? We did that with our personal finances in the last couple of years. We started really taking it seriously. And you know what? It made the why very clear. Yep. Here's where we need to be to retire when we want to retire. And here's what that looks like now. And here's what it needs to be on a monthly basis. And the track that we're on right now is not the right track for us. You know, so seeing the numbers sometimes it can be a huge eye opener for you. Right. That's for another day. My next rant is just we're not an industry again because we've been successful enough of, you know, not even keeping track of things in Salesforce and not really looking at the numbers. And if my numbers look good enough and I'm going to hit goal this year, I'm really committed to client work. So I'm going to dig in. And then I think the... I worry about the gap sneaking up on some really good people that mm-hmm. could capitalize on just some new ideas. It's not radical overhaul, just starting to incrementally, you know, adopt um, some new approaches. And one of the things in their approaches is how they're clear and creating contrast. One of those is kind of what they're offering, what they're charging. And Jeff, when we were getting going earlier, one of the things that you've been thinking about is how you address things when people ask, you know, and say, well, you're more expensive Mm -hmm. than my incumbent or an alternate and why we should not be afraid of that. (laughs) I've always sold. I've always sold at a premium. I've always sold a product that was, if I wasn't already the market leader and used that leverage for the premium, I was coming in to eat the market leader's lunch at a premium. And not just because my ego and my prospecting narcissism driving me to that. What I mean is, like, is there a better question than you could be asked than, hey, Jeff, how come you cost so much? That is a direct invitation to tell people what your value proposition is. Like, do you not recognize that? Or are you too afraid of being challenged to be willing to stand up for yourself? Right? And there's something... There is conflict inherent in selling. I'm not going as far as saying that it's a full contact sport, but at some point you have to be willing to have a difficult conversation with somebody or you're not going to make real change. The more difficult those conversations are, the more of a premium you can charge. So please give me any opportunity to remind you of why I know I provide value that no one else does. And if I am going to be invited to do that, I'm going to tell you. And if I need to say it again, I will say it again. That's selling. I just, but too many people will run away with their tail between their legs saying, oh, we we cost too much. We need to cost less. That is the wrong answer. Yeah, and B, embrace it. That means they're paying attention. You're still engaging in the conversation Mm -hmm. that, that people kind of nip it too quick. Oh, that question must mean I have to lower my price when that's not what it means. At all. I think that ties an emotion to their objection. And people buy emotionally, they justify logically. And what that tells me is you're upset that it costs too much. Because if the price was right, you would have bought. But the price was more than you expected, which means you're curious and maybe your feelings are hurt a little bit and you want to know why. And I'm happy to tell you. 
Have I shown you the difference between handmade and machine made? Have I shown you the value of that? Have I shown you the difference of personal attention versus the factory approach, right? Whether And particularly as you talk about professional services and, and things like that, it's important to have a really good, solid personal relationship with someone who is potentially advising you on life-altering decisions. So you can do it the cheap way, or you can do it in a more tailored way that's probably going to bring you better benefits. I'm so happy that there is an emotion around price that I am looking for those conversations. Yeah, I think there's a big, I love this topic because I think there's a big difference between justifying and defending. Mm. You said people buy based on emotion and justify with logic. The prospect, when they're asking that question, think about when you ask, what, so what goes into the price? Or you're like, that's more than I was expecting. I really want you to really explain to me what goes into it. It just make me feel better, honestly. It'll make me feel better buying it if I know what goes into it. And I think that as salespeople, you're totally right. We, we take this almost as a form of rejection where we take it really personal, personally, where we have to then defend the price. Because what comes out next, usually for most people, it's where I go to is, well, my competitors charge this much. Right. Or, hey, I know it's a little bit more than my competitors, but not by much. How much more was it than you were expecting? And the conversation goes completely in the wrong direction when it's more about this person, they're leaning in and they're asking, they want to feel better about the decision. And more importantly, when you're selling B2B, you're selling to a committee, this person wants to have a story. Because exactly. they're taking risks. They want to have a story to bring back to the people that they need to be like, Jeff, Jen, I know I said it would cost 15,000, but Jason wants 20. <laughs> so, and here's why. Here's why that's worth it. You need to help your champion and the people you're presenting to tell that story. And don't be complicated. I mean, one of the things is be easy to work with. And part of that is help that person make that business case. And one of the things I always come back to is people are not rational, they rationalize. And so they can they can rationalize just about anything. We see that in politics and all sorts of things. And we see it in our industry that you give me one prospective customer who can rationalize they need a really big firm. And then I'll give you a next person and they can create a business case for why they want a smaller firm. <laughs> and there's not a right or a wrong, but help them create the story to support why they want to work with you. And that's just part of it. You don't have to be defensive. That's so good. And I love that you guys went there too. It's what are they really asking for? They're not asking for a lower price, although that'll get it done. What they will take, what they would actually prefer is a story about why they're going to spend more than they need to. If it really was too much and it was not up for discussion, they wouldn't call you back. They wouldn't even come, but they would just say, oh, okay. I mean, look, if it's really one or the other and you're down to the final decision and yeah, they're both equivalent to us and one's 25% more, you get that and you're almost grateful because now you don't have a decision to make. These were equivalent until I found that one was way more expensive. Cool, that made my decision for me. But if they're willing to bring it back up, if they're willing to return serve and say, hold on a second, that means they're emotionally engaged. Mm -hmm. And that emotional engagement is priceless. Don't try to remove the emotional engagement. Give them a story to justify the emotion. Let them tell their friends that they feel good about this, even though it's more expensive, rather than, well, I think I can beat them up a little bit and we can get the price down. Nobody wins. If you don't spend the money, if you don't spend enough money to get the results that you're looking for, it's just your fault that you didn't get the results that you were looking for, right? I mean, so you like to think that maybe you're passing along a win because they're going to spend less than maybe they originally thought, 
but you don't win because you don't have the profit and they don't win because they don't have as much skin in the game as they should to get the objective reached. Yeah. Again, love this topic. One last analogy I'd end with is my parents, when we moved into our place in Austin, we're in Vancouver now, we didn't have a TV because we had just moved in and they said, hey, let's go to Costco. We'll buy you a TV. Now, when they're spending their money buying us a brand new flat screen, 55 inch, whatever, that costs a bunch of money, I'm a little hesitant about what I recommend us buying because it's not my money. Yeah. So remember that the people you're selling to, it's not their money. Even if they own the company, they're sharing that money typically with a partner. They're spending other people's money. So just keep that in mind. When people start talking to you about price, we've all three of us have mentioned the word story mm-hmm. and the story that they have to tell the other people that you don't get to talk to. So keep that in mind. And they're right. definitely judged by the way they spend other people's <laughs> money. There are people paying attention. That's right. I feel so much better. This is very cathartic, the rant, (laughs) the recorded rant. It's great. You're good at it. Thanks for letting me invite myself in. Thanks for listening. Yeah, this is a fun one. I'm really, like I said, this prospecting narcissism is something I, I want to continue talking more about. But hey, if you got some value from today, one thing I'd really appreciate is if you could leave a short, honest review on iTunes. Really helps the show grow so we can get more guests on and that sort of stuff. And if you're looking for help implementing some of the things that we've been talking about, make sure to check out our prospecting boot camps. It's the best content that you're going to find on Outbound. So how to get appointments through your emails, cold calls, objections, how to deal with those sequencing, how many times to reach out to people, all that good stuff. And in the boot camp, you're going to get coursework and a really uh, regimented six-week program where we go through step-by-step exactly what you need to do in order to set more meetings. And you get feedback and coaching from me. We're getting some really great results right now. So let me know if that's something you're interested in. Hit me up, Jason at blissfulprospecting.com. Just put bootcamp in the email. And if you're someone that's looking to help your reps implement some of the stuff that we've been talking about, we have an accelerator program for that as well. So make sure to hit me up, Jason at blissfulprospecting.com. We'd love to help you out if we can. Thanks for tuning in.